Welcome to The Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you've experienced the loss of someone close to you, Dr. Connie and her guests will share guidance, love, and support to help keep you moving. Now, here is Dr. Connie. Welcome to Widow's Walk. I'm Dr. Connie Mariano. I'm a widow since July of 2019. It's interesting. uh, We widows always will remember those special dates that allowed us to enter this new life. But as I say, this this show is dedicated to the widow's journey, the widow's walk, and the steps we take to grieve and to move on and to honor our loved ones who have passed, our partners, those who were part of the we that has become the new me. And we all know that this happens on our own timetable in our own deeply personal way. And many of us find healing through the journey of others as we walk together. And that's how we, we do get better. We find we can't do it alone. We've got to have our team of people who care about us and who've also suffered loss to, to join us. So when we lose our husbands, our whole life changes. And our relationships with other family members changes. Our friends change. With society, it changes. Our jobs can't change. Definitely our Our home life changes, and everything around us is now different. And death affects us so dramatically as widows, but it also affects so many other lives of those who have lost loved ones. And I think often about children who have lost a parent. It's not clear exactly about how many young people are affected by the death of an immediate family member. Some estimates that are about 5% of the children in the United States, which is about 1.5 1.5 to 2 million have lost one or both parents by age 15. So that says that portion is substantially higher in lower socioeconomic groups. So there's a lot of suffering in those, definitely in those young people. My family, I, I look back, has been impacted by the death of the parent. My, my father was 11 years old in the Philippines when his mother died, giving birth to her eighth child. She bled to death in the home. And that event from my father's young years, losing his mother at that age, has really impacted him significantly in the decisions he made and the life he lived, having lost his mother so young. So today in my studio, uh, I have a guest who's a physician and who is someone who's not a stranger to death. He's somebody who, like me, is often the bearer of sad news to families in in a hospital, in an emergency setting. In the aftermath of a family member's death, I, I've told people many times in my 42 years of medicine, there were times in a hospital or ICU that I would have the sad duty to tell a woman that her husband has passed away. And in a lot of ways, I am, you become the official widow maker when you tell somebody about that. My guest is somebody who knows that, that position well as an emergency medicine physician. Uh, My guest today is an old friend of mine, Dr. Charles, I call him Chip, Dr. Chip Finch. He is a doctor of osteopathy. He's a fellow of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. He's a clinical professor, a department of clinical education. He's a chairman of integrated medicine, very talented physician and a healer. He uh, graduated from Des Moines University College of Osteopathic Medicine, of which I did a keynote several years ago. And they were wonderful to grant me an honorary Doctor of Science degree. Dr. Finch is a diplomate of the American Board of Emergency Medicine. He completed his emergency medicine residency here in Arizona at Maricopa Medical Center in Phoenix. And he still works seeing patients in the emergency room 
here in Scottsdale. Early on in in Dr. Finch's career, he identified there was a need for more focused grief and bereavement curriculum to be included in medical education. And this need paralleled his interest in helping children and adults navigate their own grief journey. In 1999, Dr. Finch developed and served as the founder and camp director of Camp Paz, as in peace, P-A-Z. It was a twice a year, it is a twice a year weekend camp for grieving children who have experienced death in, in their lives. And I am particularly grateful to Dr. Finch because uh, it was back in 2004, my cousin Jude died on active duty, leaving behind his widow Annie and their three little kids. And that was when uh, I was able to reach out to Dr. Finch and he got Annie and the kids uh, to attend a Camp Pause weekend. And it really made a huge difference in their recovery and and how they moved forward in, in healing after my cousin's death. Dr. Finch has been recognized across the state and the nation as a leader in the area of grief and bereavement. His work has led to the development of very successful statewide nonprofit grief and bereavement organization, Stepping Stones of Hope, which is on the website as www.steppingstonesofhope.org. And his organization offers services since 2003 to children, adults, families, and the community. And Dr. Finch has received numerous awards for his amazing work to this benefit. I've known Dr. Finch uh, close to 20 years, right, since since I've moved here. A mutual friend, my real estate agent friend, and sort of a member of family, Danny Williams, introduced us. And he's helped so many people. And I just want to thank you for spending the time. You just worked in the ER today, coming out here, and just spending the next hour just to talk to us. Thank you. Well, thanks, Dr. Connie. It's, you know, it's a pleasure. And it's, it's an opportunity, really, for us to really share not only what I'm doing and what our organization's doing, but really share an opportunity to help others. And that's, I think, why we do what we do. You know, I always say that whenever I have a guest, the goal is at least one person who hears this show benefits and I think we we get thousands of listeners and many quite a few of them listen when we are live but a lot of them will go on later as a podcast and say hey you got to hear this so my hope is at least some one person there will say gee I think I might try that I may might show up I'd like to sign up for the camp or get some help or uh, other listeners say I want to donate to the organization with your fundraisers to help kids and, and other family members who are suffering You've had how many years now as an emergency medicine physician? So I'm on my 25th year since, wow. since my training. So it seems like the other day, but it goes quick. It, it really does. It goes fast. What was it in medicine that inspired you to create Stepping Stones of Hope and Camp Pause? Well, it's interesting. When I, uh, prior to actually going to medical school, I, I worked in the hospital setting as an emergency department technician. And so I had the opportunity to experienced death through the patients and families that were coming through the emergency department. I was able to see how the healthcare team uh, responded to both traumatic deaths as well as long-term deaths. And it was just, it was an experience even when I was young prior to medical school, really seeing how it was quite variable in how people approached, how people addressed, and how individuals not only experienced this journey in this process, but how would these patients and families and others react? And it really wasn't until I was in medical school and I had a very small amount of my four-year curriculum that was 
uh, addressing death and dying. As a matter of fact, we had a one-hour lecture, and this is in the mid-90s. And so a one-hour lecture to our class from an experienced grief therapist that was educating us as medical students at that time on how we would then respond to our patients and our families uh, when we become a licensed physicians. And I thought, I, I took that at heart and realized, I think I can make a difference. And so it really was in medical school seeing an opportunity and taking my experience prior to medical school and seeing that, you know what, I think I could actually lend to this and maybe even make a difference because my grandmother had died back then. I didn't necessarily have a immediate close family member at that time. I subsequently have had my mom and my dad both die uh, over the last 10 years or so, but it wasn't until I had the opportunity back in medical school to say, you know what, I can do something that can help others, and this is where I need to be. You know, and I think of what you do as ER docs. You know, there's an accident or somebody gets brought into the ER, <laughs> and they die. They die in the ER, and you've countless of times have been there trying to resuscitate them you know, pronouncing them dead, and then going out into the waiting room and, ex you know, telling him the news. We're the bearer of bad news. And as uh, the recipient of that news, uh, when my husband died, <coughs> it was somebody who had called the sheriff's department to find out that they had found his glider in the mountains. And it was watching the contest director relay the message to me. And then when that the fellow on the phone started crying, I knew already. I just knew. So we always remember, widows will always remember, most people will always remember where they were, how it was told, who was it, and the manner they, that was done. And so you, as you had said, you, know, you only got an hour of training. I, in back 42 years ago in military medical school, I don't even remember any training that I got. I might have gotten picked up some of the training during residency from my senior staff sort of being there, and a lot of times the nurses are there, or you talk to, or a lot of times the chaplain, call the chaplain, they're going to come in, someone's grieving, and you leave it to them, and you just go sign your orders and the death certificate. But I, I just, uh, you know, I, I commend you for having done that, to say we got to do something. Where did you get the name? I'm just curious about your name, Stepping Stones of Hope. Well, when we started our weekend camp pause program back in 99, we wanted to really incorporate not only you know, individuals, but also our community. And as you mentioned earlier, a camp piece in Spanish, we wanted to really not only uh, have, uh, we wanted, wanted to be very diverse. We wanted to be very inclusive, and we wanted to reach out to everyone. And uh, so when we started Camp Pause uh, as a weekend camp program, we, that led us into then the development of additional programs because of the need. So not only was there a need for kids, but there was a need also to help adults. And so we expanded that into various programs. In addition to our weekend camp pause program, we expanded it to have a camp for adults only, for a camp for families, a camp for teens, etc. Each of those represents a stepping stone. We kind of go through this journey of grief, and it's not very simplistic. It's not straight, and it's not identified the same with each individual. It's different. It's a journey. It's a pathway, and it's a stepping stone. That's a perfect name for it. I do the widow's walk because it steps, the steps you take. It's not a sprint. It's it's not a, it, it can be very slow at times, but only you can walk it. Only you, you can't designate someone and say, okay, you do that journey for me. I, I'm just going to do my thing, but, you know, we each do that. I, I always wonder, like, when, you know, we each have sort of our own styles when we tell people bad news. Let's say you're in the ER, you know, what, what's your typical, what's, what's Dr. Finch's way to tell 
a family in the waiting room that we've some guy comes in with chest pain, you've you know you've cardiac arrest, you've worked on him. How do you how do you give news to someone? And it may sound like it's not easy, and it and it and it isn't easy. But I also look at it as an opportunity, though, and how can we make this sometimes a very short amount of time an experience that's going to be even better for that family member? And so, first and foremost, I think we kind of shy away many times from using even the word died or death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and sometimes it can be seems, it almost seems like a, a scary word. And, we, and many people shun away from that. And I think that's what we used to do quite often. We've gotten much better with that over the last decade or two uh, as we start to begin to walk the walk and talk the talk, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in the emergency department, I don't have much time to really make an impact on families and, and the patient's families and, and their loved ones. But I need to do it in a very kind and gentle manner, but also direct. And I think we need to talk exactly what we're meaning. Mm-hmm. And so I let them know. But I think first and foremost, being there and being present, not standing at the doorway, sitting with the, the family member, and just making lying my hand on their shoulder or on their knee, giving them that sense of love and compassion and letting them know that they're, unfortunately their loved one has died. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, what we can do though is we can walk them through this process of their grief in a better way. And so I try to be direct, I try to be comforting, mm-hmm. but I listen, I'm not gonna rush, and I'm gonna take that time to really connect with that individual. Many of them I've never met before, and I've now yeah. had the first time to meet them today. Yeah. And it really is challenging for me, but it's a opportunity for me to actually make a difference. Because one of the things that I've learned over the years is that survivors, uh, widows, widowers, and, and others who have had a, mem- a family member die remember that time, as you just mentioned earlier. And they remember when that notification occurred, and that lasts forever. Mm-hmm. It does. It, and how can we make it better? Do, do they ask to see the body? Most do. Yeah, they want to see the closure. Most do, and, and, and not all. We certainly want to give that opportunity. You know, depending on the situation, obviously, I mean, some people die very traumatically. Mm-hmm. And, but with that being said, I don't think we should ever uh, not allow someone to see or be seen because they remember that. And if yeah. we don't give them that opportunity, and that's what many times what they want, mm-hmm. that can impact them for quite some time. Yeah, the disbelief. Right. No, it's you know, a lot of it's the wording. I remember after John died, they told me, and then I, my response was, I need to make some phone calls. So I went into the next room, and I proceeded to call family members and friends, and almost like a robot. And I remember telling one family member, he's gone. And they said, well, where did he go? <laughs> Using the youth, I said, he's, he, 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 he's dead. He's right. dead. I mean, you're right. You have to be, a, but kind and, and, and understanding in that type of way. And not having seen a body, there's almost that disbelief until you see the casket or, or the, the urn and all that. It's that connect because it is a shock. You know, a lot of people, even the ones who know so-and-so is sick, they have a feeling, but you, you confirmed it. it, it you confirmed that, that it's true. It's, it has happened. Do you, do you begin then recommending you know, other ways for therapy and grief therapy right then in the ER? So we try, certainly I do in, in our organization, we try to connect within the community because oftentimes 
there's stages of grief that people initially go through, and uh, and it's not necessarily always sequential. But there's initial, there's initially a you know a very uh, there's an anger stage, and mm-hmm. it's in mm-hmm. sometimes they don't necessarily always hear mm-hmm. what you're mm-hmm. saying to them right up front. Yeah, and it may take you know some repetition. It may mm-hmm. take coming back in a half an hour later, mm-hmm. calling two or three days later, following up, and just making sure that they have an understanding and they also know that there's people out there that can help. Mm-hmm. Because I think oftentimes there's that sense of uh, not only anger individually as to what happened, but also the distrust, the the belief that maybe this isn't really what's going on. Um, maybe, they're, maybe they will come back. Because, you know, after they die in the hospital, you know, they go to the morgue, you do an autopsy, you know, depending on the autopsy and all that, and then they, I'm sure they want the body, and it's all the logistics part, right, it, that's set in. Absolutely, and, and uh, you know, it's very, uh, there There actually is a lot that goes on after yeah. someone's had a death in their life, and yeah. and uh, let alone the, in- the emotional response of the individual, but then with all the needs that follow that, we as uh, individuals, it's it's almost too much for one person to handle. So we do need to have that support out there from a grief perspective to help these individuals get through this process a little easier. And then afterwards, you know, you connected them in the community with people. Do they ever come back to the ER? Do you ever see them back? The you know, family? Well, they usually follow up again, oftentimes with their with their Is primary it? care physician and and their healthcare team. But it's interesting because there are. There are a few that that do come back. Yeah. The emergency department, in and of itself, can be a scary place. Yeah. Well, yeah. You they know. remember. And they and sometimes bringing an individual back is tough. It's not easy for them to come back to that environment of what they left in. On the other hand, there's a lot of healing that goes on when we remember and talk about our loved ones. We don't want us. I certainly don't want anyone to feel like they don't want or or can't remember who it is who died, that's a very, yeah. that's a very, uh, uh, I mean, they, they worry about that. They worry that they may forget that person or, or they're, they're going to be forgotten. And kids especially. We don't, the adults grieve and then let alone the kids. And yeah. so, you know, Will that's you ever why. forget. Absolutely. Yeah. We, now, how do people fi- find Stepping Stones? How does somebody, does somebody tell them about Stepping Stones or how do they, how do they even get to you guys? Well, I mean, uh, we, uh, in addition to the website that, we're, that we have, and in addition to being in the community itself, we, we go through the hospital systems, the funeral homes. Good. Uh, we've gotten our word out through through churches as well. We're non-denominational, so we offer everybody can come, anybody can come. Uh, the limitation is that they've had to have someone die in their life. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, what a great opportunity. Because yeah. where can you go and find a place where everyone else who's there understands? They understand that they've had someone die in their life as well. It's hard yeah. for me, Connie, to, Dr. Connie, to say to you, I know how you feel. That's tough. As a matter of fact, I mean, that can be that can be difficult because I don't necessarily know yeah. how you feel. But yeah. what I do know is I understand what it's like to have someone die because yeah. I've had that as well. Sure, absolutely. It's I'd say it's the club that a lot of us never wanted to join, but here we are. You know, we, we've been through similar things of having lost somebody and how it impacts. You know, I look at the children that you've helped over the years. What do you do in Camp Paws? I'm going back to Camp Paws. What, what, what do you all do that, that has helped the children? Sure. Well, you know, it's a, it, the environment, first and foremost, offers that safe, 
place, that place where people can come and just be who they are. And yeah. then they, so that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. We provide a very safe, fun environment. And that's why I tell them it's unfortunate when we start our camps. It's unfortunate that you are here because in order for you to be here, you had to have a, someone die in your life. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, everyone around the room here has experienced a death. And mm-hmm. so the beautiful part is we do, we do have an understanding. And so providing that environment, I think, is more than half of it. Then it's a fun place. Where can you go to have so much fun despite the fact you had someone die in your life? And I think we look at things in a very negative way many times. Yeah. So death isn't necessarily negative. At some point, we all are going to have someone die in our life. The question then becomes, where do we go to help us get through this process journey easier. So do you have bereavement counselors working with you? You have other physicians? Do you have therapists working there? So we have, our staff is all volunteer and, uh, and it's people who, again, who've had a, have, who have experienced a death in their life as well, but they're not all necessarily professionals. We've had some younger, some middle-aged and some older individuals. We have had some, some teachers. We've had some physicians like myself. Mm Mm-hmm. We do have some some counselors, but they're not there. We're not counseling. We're providing support. Mm -hmm. But through this support in a very fun, loving environment, through play, through laughter, through small group talks, and through large group activities, the idea here is to at least allow one piece of what we do to affect that individual when they leave camp. And if we've done that and made it just one piece, and I can argue that after about... 20 minutes or 30 minutes into each of our programs, if someone was reluctant on showing up, that's over with. Yeah. Because they want to come back. And the reason why they want to come back is that we've provided that environment. It's amazing. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. I want to hear more about Stepping Stones of Hope and and really how you help people heal and and adults, definitely adults, but also as a physician, how it impacts you as a human being and also your team because... You know, we, we, you deal with life and death all the time and how it impacts you as a human. So stay tuned on Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie and Dr. Charles Finch, and we'll be back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Dr. Connie Mariano is a groundbreaker. She was the White House physician to three presidents, toured the world on Air Force One, and has had countless amazing experiences. The one thing that life didn't prepare her for was becoming a widow. After losing her beloved husband, John, in a tragic accident, Dr. Connie joined the one million women who are widowed in the United States each year. While her journey as a widow has been one of intense grief and sorrow, it has also been one of extraordinary growth and rebirth. Now, Dr. Connie is sharing what she's learned, joined by her knowledgeable guests to help anyone struggling with this deeply personal and often lonely journey of their own. Tune into The Widow's Walk, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents, 
Now, she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to The Widow's Walk. Remember to check out the show page on the Voice America website for more episodes. Now, back to Dr. Connie. Welcome back to Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie and my special guest today in studio, Dr. Charles Chip Finch, who's an emergency medicine physician and a healer and somebody who is an expert in helping anyone who has lost a loved one. And he just shared about Camp Pause, which is an amazing camp that he hosts for children. Do you also have a camp for adults, too? We do. Now, the Camp Pause itself has two components to it. There's a children's side and an adult side. But outside of that weekend program, we we do offer various programs for families. And then we also have a weekend adult program as well that's specific for, for adults. So that's a huge thing that, that helps them. One of the things that I was thinking about, definitely as a physician, we, you know, it's so much a part of what we do, right? Life or death. And how has that affected you all these years, you know, the years that in the ER, seeing patients die, telling their families, doesn't that have to harden you a little bit? I mean, what does that do to you? What have you feel, felt? Well, and I, I can express myself through our camp programs in a way where I can take that back into my professional life as well. So I learn from our camp programs, and I take what I learn in our camp programs right back into the emergency department, and I can experience uh, myself uh, being a little bit, uh, it's just easier for me to provide that that knowledge and that uh, and that communication to family members after someone dies uh, because of what I've learned from other families. We teach each other many times as well. I can certainly say, though, in the emergency department, death occurs not necessarily on every shift that I work, but it does occur quite frequently. And the different types of death that I deal with can be quite variable. So it's challenging. With that being said, I need to talk about it. But it's similar to someone who's had someone die in their life. They do need to talk about it as yeah. well. They can't just keep it inside. Holding, holding our feelings inside, not being able to express them, can be very harmful. And it doesn't always have to be expressed verbally. So that's why in our programs, whether it's an adult program that we have or even a kid's program or a teen's program, we provide different methods of expression through art, through music, through play, through laughter, and through large and small groups because there's different ways to communicate and express, but holding things in is harmful. It's true. I, I think you're so right about it. You know, one of the things as a widow that's so hard, people are very uncomfortable about death. And for people who haven't seen me in a couple of years, it's almost like they, they don't want to talk about it because they're afraid I'm going to burst out crying. And and it's it's almost, and we sort of say, well, gee, he never they never mentioned John or they never mentioned losing John. And all it takes is, gee, I'm so sorry I heard about him. I'm so sorry you've lost. I'm so sorry for your loss. As, I, as I, I, other widows will say um, that they don't want to hear he's in a better place. Right. One of the widows said, it just makes me mad when people say he's in a better place. And she'll say, well, no, he's not. He'd be better if he were, were sitting here with me. Or 
and people don't meet. I mean, people are uncomfortable. You don't want to. They don't want to talk about death. And but it's it's such a fact of life that. But but part of it is just learning to live with that. That you never forget them. They never leave your life. They're just they're there in, the, in your heart. But for you as a as a doctor, I mean, we we all lose our patients. We all die. And you know, the gift is you bring what you learn from camp into practice. What kind of things have you learned from the children, from the adults at camp? Yeah, in a, well, I, uh, many things, actually. And, uh, but a few things that come to mind, first of all, is that, again, we're never going to forget who died in our life. The question becomes, how do we actually continue to remind ourselves of them? And there's various ways to do so, not just in a, in a camp program like what we're talking about and what we offer, but also memories that we can share outside of camp. You know, we have various songs that we sing at camp that are very uh, remembering of who it was who died in our life. And we can then maybe play that same song at the at their birthday time or during a holiday. Um, that's through music. Pictures. Uh, there's many times where we can share pictures, not only at camp, but also we bring that picture out or hang it on the wall. It depends on the comfort level of the individual. But we share that memory. It's those memories that we remember the, the loved one because they're, they're still with us. They're just not sitting here with us. Tell me about your couples who have connected and mar- married, you know, widows and widowers. Have you had that at camp as well? We have. We've had them come as, as campers uh, separately and uh, adults as well as even our kids. And over time, they've come back and served in various uh, volunteer roles at our, at our camp programs. And now they're actually not only coming back and serving as, as camp volunteers, but they subsequently then got married. And they come back and they still share what it was like when their loved one died, when their spouse died. But they now have since remarried, which is awesome. And, uh, and again, I think it still brings back that environment and comfort of where they are. And they're still walking and, and stepping through this journey of grief oh, yeah. in their own way that's different and very unique. Yeah but they're able to do it and help others get through it as well. Yeah, that's an amazing story. One of the guests that I'll, I'll have in December on Widow's Walk is my former White House nurse, uh, Debbie, and she's going to be here with her husband, Richard, and this is her second husband, second marriage for them, and she was a hospice nurse in Colorado taking care of this lady who subsequently died of cancer, and, and the husband uh, ultimately, after losing his wife over time, reached out to Debbie, they dated, and they, they got married last year, happily married. And, you know, the statistics are for widowers, 61% of them remarry. Widows, it's much lower, it's 16%. And a lot of widows are just not interested, you know, this just, you, know, you go, what, what allows or what in, encourages the widow to seek to move on? And I think, you know, it's something that my late husband John came to me in a dream and he would always say, your heart is big enough to love another. But you have to realize is after you get through, you know, not not really get through, but as you survive widowhood, you're really different. You're different. Like It's like children who lost a parent. You are different from, because of that death, you are, you've become changed in a lot of ways. There are things that are different, things you appreciate differently that if that other person were back in your life, would you still be married to them? Would they still, you, you know, you're drawn to different things, different people show up in your life, and you are changed in so many ways. You, you, the hope is that you're a better person as a result of, of that loss, of that person being out of your life. 
But, you know, it, it makes life more precious, doesn't it? That it's in a, in, a, in a blink of an eye, you can lose a loved one so quickly. Well, and I think uh, also that that's so important. And we just have to realize that uh, in addition to being precious, it's just we need to treasure each day. Mm-hmm. And we need to realize that our loved ones, we care for them. We love them. Uh, but uh, each day brings, you know, a, a new day. And, and we want to make as much as we can from each of those days. And especially after we've had someone die in our life, how can we, we're never going to forget our loved ones. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, one thing that not only kids but also adults sometimes think, gosh, I'll, I'll forget about someone. Or You're never going to forget that person. But what we can do is we can actually make each day better as we continue to move forward in remembrance of who that individual is. Are there certain groups that are more difficult to help heal than others? In other words, do you, are children the more the more challenging, or is it long-term widows, or would, have you seen anything with that? It is hard to dis- to really decide which group is is more mm-hmm. difficult. I can mm-hmm. tell you from a kid's perspective, many times they're grieving just like adults, mm-hmm. but sometimes they don't appear like they're sad or Mm-hmm. unhappy or whatever they 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 the appearance on the outside is very pleasant most of the time mm-hmm. and very helpful and uh, they don't appear like they're having trouble compared to adults adults mm-hmm. do appear on the outside to have much more of a difficult time through this journey but so I would tell you that it is challenging the kids even though they may appear like they're doing well inside they're asking for the help they just yeah. don't know how to do it it's tough. It's a tough thing. You know, you mentioned your wife, Marty, is a music therapist. And you use music a lot for therapy in, in that? 100%. And what, do you find, what do you find with music therapy? So, and again, not with, well, I love music. Yeah. I'm, not a, you know, oh, yeah. I'm an emergency physician, not a therapist, <laughs> let alone a music therapist. I met her, actually, because I really wanted to have music a part of our programs. And that is a huge part of every program that we do. Because music in and of itself allows a very comforting method to actually have individuals, both adults and kids, move through this journey easier. Mm-hmm. They remember their loved one through mm-hmm. songs. It's the lyrics, it's the music, it's mm-hmm. the tone, it's the emotional side that comes out through music. Mm-hmm. So it really does impact this journey in a very positive way. So it's not just, it, it, it could be vocalists, it could mm-hmm. be through singing, but it's mm-hmm. also through playing guitar and various instruments. Music is, is a key piece to making success through this journey. My friends of the medium world will say that it helps raise your vibrational frequency that you connect through the sound of the music. It's almost like the language of the soul, that it's the sound of music and, and what it does to you that brings back memories. Uh, I just love that, you know, when you know when you do a, I, I did a, a radio podcast for one of my friends on Wilder Station Radio, Harry, Harry Slayle is a dear friend of mine, and he, he po- has his podcast uh, about music, and so I, I called it the, uh, my, my final playlist, and I played the music, I asked him to play the songs, and I discussed why I picked those songs that I would want played at my celebration of life. And there were ones, a lot of the ones that I had at, at John's service, and there wasn't a dry eye because I didn't want anyone to, to have a dry eye. I wanted everyone to, greet, to cry because the, the joy, you know, that emotional, that it touched you deeply with somebody's voice and the emotion that you can feel 
in that voice. There are certain songs will happen, but it it is therapeutic because it brings you back in time and and brings their memory, that energy of them there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do pet therapy as well? Or do you other things that you've been able to help with children, adults heal? We don't actually. When we 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 haven't added pets into our programs yet, and I do think that's an opportunity. Where we uh, one of our programs, the weekend camp pause program, we actually host that at Whispering Hope Ranch. And there's actually an, that's an animal refuge there as well. So uh, they they actually have animals that are that are uh, abused and hurt and so forth that are that are uh, housed there. And so we actually incorporate a portion of our program uh, that weekend with those horses and other animals as well, which is a fantastic opportunity to help. Similar to what you're asking about from a pet therapy perspective, because pets play a big role here too. Oh yeah, I, I, absolutely. I know Canyon Ranch in some places have equine therapy where you go and you groom the the horses and then it allows you, to, it's almost meditative. You work with that and you focus and you breathe and it's a lot of the relaxation therapy they do. You have, I'm sure people who've lost their pets and their pets in a lot of ways are, are, are their children and they, they definitely grieve for that. It is, it's another loss, yeah. right? It's just another added component to this journey that we have to add there as well, which is a key a key thing with many individuals. Very important. So how do you relax? How do you, de- let's say, you know, rough day in the ER and after a death, what what do you do as a doctor afterwards, as a human? What do you do? So I think our support system is key. We need to have friends. We need to have uh, acquaintances, whether it's family members or close friends, especially if, if we're widowed and we've had really a husband or a wife recently you know, who have died who else do we have to help support us? Mm-hmm. Who is that connection that we have? And it could be a neighbor, it could be a close friend, but that network is, is key. Even for me as a physician, how I reach out to my colleagues, my close friends. Uh, we talk quite constantly, even throughout our shift. If we've had a bad, if I had a recent uh, death in the emergency department, and I have to then go see my next patient, and turn around within you know just a, a mm-hmm. few minutes from something quite significant, such as a death, to the next patient that has their emergency. How do I deal with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I do, I mean, through through, through humor and through laughter and through play, similar to what we do at camp, I kind of keep that same mindset to a certain extent in a very professional manner mm-hmm. in the emergency department, because otherwise it could be very daunting and very tiresome over time. You know, I think, too, for us, there's always a question, have I done everything I possibly could, you know, with that patient? And that's always like, so-and-so died. Could, as an interest, did we miss something? Did some, You know, all get in the back of your mind. And you've got to get to the point, we've done everything. We have done everything. Be at peace. And I see that a lot of times in, in widows who've taken care of their husbands and, and who've had horrible illness took care of him, and they have said, could I have done more if I had, if I only had done this, and, you know, it's all the, the guilt, and it's like, no, you have done everything you possibly could have done. Dr. Connie, I think that is so key to, to, to not only let people know that from my perspective in the emergency department and as a physician, I tell patients that. Once I've pronounced someone dead, there's nothing more that we, everything's been done that can be done. Mm-hmm. And I tell the family members, too, that oftentimes who aren't medical many times, right? Mm-hmm. I let them know that they've done everything they could do. Sometimes I think, well, if I just would have called earlier, mm-hmm. or maybe if I could have just done something last week instead of today. And you know what? That never makes a difference. Yeah. 
what's been done it's done is done yeah person you know their loved one has died and they've done everything and we've done everything we can do and you know unfortunately you know your spouse or your loved one has died does social worker come down when you when you tell somebody do you have them there too to meet with them the healthcare teams today are somewhat limited mm -hmm. and so we do have clergy at times we do have social workers at times but we don't always have those available all the time wow and so it, that's the challenge with the healthcare side yeah. certainly in the Not emergency department limited but we do the best we can with what we have and that's why i just think if you can just listen play a key role by listening by spending a little extra time mm -hmm. showing that you truly truly care and that you truly have that compassion and you also are going to make a difference not only today but as we move forward you will help them through this process and how are you going to do that through a variety of methods that we've already shared today as well you know and i think allowing them to share their story their love their journey acknowledging that really helps i I always say that I'm like a, I'm a traveling medicine team. I, I traveled recently. It was, it, was a, it was actually I spoke at UC Berkeley earlier this spring. I was flying into San Francisco, and sitting beside me was a lady, and we just started a conversation. And actually, she's going to come on to my show uh, next year. But she talked about she had been recently widowed, but she'd been, this is her third husband, recently widowed, and it was sudden death. He had a cardiac arrest. And she did CPR, and she lost it. Her previous husband, she had been married many years, and he had died of cancer. So it was a long death. I called them widows in waiting. And she was at peace with that. And it wasn't until she went to her 50th high school reunion, she reconnected with an old boyfriend. And they both had the first name Terry. And they, she's always had a crush on him. And then they started up the relationship. And within, within a few months, they were married. And they were happy, life was good, and then they traveled somewhere, and they were at a restaurant celebrating an event, and he collapsed, he had a sudden death. And she, she did CPR, they called the paramedics, and he died right on the spot. And so she was totally shell-shocked. And people go, well, this is the second time, you're probably used to this. You're never used to. But even then, she was still, still grieving, it had been four or five months. I said, you never really get over it. You just, you get stronger. And so we spent, we spent 40 minutes talking and we connected, we text each other. And so recently she sent me this long text and the story of, of really about what she went through. And I said, you have really lost so many people because right after he died, her mother died and, and then her dog died. And it was, all these things were happening. And I think if you acknowledge their pain, and you, it's what you do, you're such a good listener, you listen, you let them talk, you let them cry. Some people, oh, don't cry. Let them cry. <laughs> they need to cry. You let them grieve. You let them acknowledge that human, that spirit, that soul who is in their life, and you, you're just there for them. That really does so much. Huge. And I, you know, one of our rules at, in our programs, both our kids' program and our adult program, and our teen program, for that matter, is that it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel the way you're feeling mm -hmm. because you're here with others and we're going to all go through this journey and hopefully by the end it'll be a little easier for you because that's what's important. Do you have kids coming back several times to, to camp? So we, we, we do. We try to offer different programs. So if they come to a weekend camp program, they may come back to our team program, for example, if they're teenagers. Uh, or they may come back to our adult 
you know, if they come to an adult program, we do have day programs. So in addition to weekend programs, we have day programs that we that we do throughout the year to kind of keep this ongoing process moving forward. Because the last thing we want is to bring someone to a weekend camp, and then when they're done, well, then where do they go? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what's out there for them? There are other places out there, but it's hard to find grief support. Do what, do what do other states do? Do they have something similar to Camp Paws? And are you aware of any other states that have this? So back in Iowa when I was in medical school, the, uh, there was a, uh, a program called Amanda the Panda. And mm-hmm. uh, so they were dealing with uh, children who have had a de- uh, cancer death and other types of death in their life. And so I started w- helping them when I was a medical student, which inspired me to get more involved as well. The Doogie Center up in Washington State also has programs for grief as well. But I'll tell you, not every state has what we do or has a, has a grief program. And, and certainly not every state has what we have here with Stepping Stones of Hope, which is why I think we're a very unique community-based organization that can really help support adults, families, children, widows, anybody who's had a death in their life through a variety of our programs that we've talked about. So for camp, is, is it, how do they pay? Do they pay or how, does, how do they get into camp? So we, we, anybody can come. We do ask for a donation. It's monetary. $75 is, I believe, what we charge for, for, a, weekend? for a weekend. Oh, so my goodness. That's, so not, you fundraise, right, for the kids who can't exactly. afford it. So yeah. we, we really want to make, this isn't about having to pay to come. On the other hand, we do, we do have to charge something to keep mm-hmm. our costs down. Mm-hmm. Everybody's voluntary. We don't have any uh, staff on, on our payroll. So uh, all of our money is, is uh, identified through fundraising. So we typically have an annual fundraiser. We haven't set our gala for this year just yet. It's going to come on our website, but we are looking for individuals, corporations, and groups who are interested in not only helping fundraise and support what we do, but we also need the volunteers to help provide the ongoing support for our programs. And so, and it's quite mutual. With that being said, it's a quite beneficial opportunity too, as we've already shared yeah, by giving that, it really is part of the healing that, that you're able to help somebody who is grieving. I can't believe our, our, our time's almost over, Dr. Wow. Finch, Dr. Chip. It's, uh, you know, I want to thank you for, for helping those who are grieving, who are suffering, who are looking to move on in their lives with their their beloved ones that's still in their heart. Make sure you invite me to your fundraiser. I, I will definitely want to come there. And I think part of for our listeners is knowing that Stepping Stones of Hope is there to help those who grieve, who suffer. Please go onto their website to, if, to donate. And if you know somebody, a, a, a child or a family member or anybody in your life who could benefit, by all means, uh, share the website with them and, and see what, what they can offer, especially in the state of Arizona, to find someone who can help. Any last parting words to our listeners out there? Well, Dr. Connie, first and foremost, thank you so much for the opportunity. And, and I think uh, the what I would like to just offer everyone who's listening is that you can get through this process of, in your journey easier. It is a stepping stone. It is an opportunity where we can make it you know, much more beneficial for you as well. Reach out if you need that help. Don't keep it inside. And uh, I think, uh, again... Thank you so much for the opportunity today, and I hope to, uh, I hope it made a difference. Absolutely. I'm sure it did. Well, thanks again, Dr. Finch, and, and for you all, have a wonderful rest of the week, and we send our love to you all. God bless. <laughs> 
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. We hope you've gained some peace and maybe even a glimmer of hope as you continue to move forward in your life. Until we talk again, have a beautiful day.